Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to the State of Recruiting, your weekly Horns 24-7 recruiting podcast. I'm Mike Roach of Horns 247, and we're back to talk with another week of big Texas football recruiting news. I'm flying solo this week. Nick is uh, was not able to make it, my, my co-host Nick Harris, so uh, I'm going to do it all on my own. Uh, we've got a big show planned for you. We're going to talk a little bit about what's happened this week in, the, in uh, Texas recruiting. We're going to talk a lot about the UIL's ruling uh, for the state of Texas and what's going to happen to high school football this season in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, and for that, we're going to bring on good friend of the show, Matt Stepp of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. And then, of course, we're going to get you to the mailbag. Before we get into all that, I do want to remind you that the state of recruiting can be found on any podcast platform of your choice. Uh, that could be Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, any of those uh, any of those podcast platforms. And, and what we'd really like for you to do is go to those, give us some good feedback, uh, give us a, a rate and review if, if that's applicable on iTunes. If you give us a five-star review and leave a question, we promise to answer that question on the show. Uh, so please go check that out. I'd also like to recommend that you check out the other great podcasts on the Horns 24-7 feed. That includes the Longhorn Blitz with Jeff Howe and Rod Babers and the flagship with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown. I think I said Jeff Brown. I meant Jeff Howe. Um, All right, guys, let's jump right into it. It uh, It's been a busy week in Texas recruiting. Since we last left you, um, Texas suffered a big loss when when Tommy and James Brockmeyer both chose Alabama. That subject has kind of been beaten to death on our board, so we're not going to spend a ton of time on it tonight. I think for, um, you know, for my thoughts on it, they've really been out there um, in a bunch of writings over the last six months or so. I've kind of tried to make it clear where things stand there, and and I think I addressed just about everything I needed to address over the weekend. I can understand that people don't really want to keep talking about it, so um, yeah, I'm gonna we're going to move on and not spend as much time on that. I think Texas could be potentially closing in on a commitment, though. Uh, This week, Gunnar Helm from Cherry Creek High School in Inglewood, Colorado, made a visit to Austin with his dad. Over the last couple of weeks, I had reported that Texas was was making things interesting with Helm, that they were, uh, you know, garnering some attention with him. And from what I was told, um, you know, Gunner and his dad really just kind of wanted to come into Austin and check it out. And, um, you know, if everything checked out, it could be the, the lead dog for them. And, um, you know, it sounds like everything went well. Helm and his father really enjoyed Austin. Uh, this is a race that seems like it's going to come down to Texas and Wisconsin and, and probably will will be finished within the next week or two. Uh, at this point, from what I understand, 
the pros for Texas is that obviously it's Texas and the education you can get, but Gunner is a kid that wants to play in warm weather at the college level. Uh, so, so that's a big plus for Texas. Uh, the negatives for Texas, or I guess I would say the pluses for Wisconsin, are they are looking into how much the tight end is used, and I think that um, you know that's something that's been used against Texas a couple of times, and um, it's definitely been put in the ear of tight end prospects. So, um, if you're looking for uh, something that's being used against Texas at this point, that's probably a big one. Um, so, so that's uh, where I think Texas stands with Helm. I actually put in a crystal ball for him earlier this week. Uh, Helm is the teammate of Arden Walker, a defensive lineman at Cherry Creek, who also holds a Texas offer. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see, you know, where things go if Texas can land Helm and if they choose to look into Walker at that point. Outside of that, uh, working on, um, on on checking in on some uh, other guys, and, and we did tease something earlier this week over at Hornets 24-7. If you're not a subscriber, uh, please go subscribe. That's where you get all the great notes. It's where you get the Stampede and the Mike at Nights. And everywhere I drop the real insidery recruiter notes, uh, you'll get them there. Uh, I did talk about maybe, uh, I guess you could call it a secret recruit. I kind of hate to say that because it, it plays it up. There is a guy who is, who is trying to set up a, a self-visit to Texas if he can get a ride to Austin and, um, you know, the only reason I haven't put his name out there is just because I was asked to uh, hold it until they, they see if they can get the trip set up or not. So um, it's nothing to to play a ton of intrigue. It, it is a guy on the Texas board, but it is somebody that I think if they go down there and really like Austin could maybe change, uh, you know, turn the tables in that recruitment. So um, we are still working to confirm that. So, so hang tight with us there and we'll see what we can find out, uh, you know, when it comes to Texas. Um, outside of that, not a lot. Uh, not a lot else going on in the Texas recruiting world. You know, a lot of these uh, these coaches are back to workouts with the players. Uh, the the players uh, are going back to their high schools, and um, you know that's really where where we're going to go next with the show. So uh, if you missed it this week, or if you don't live in the state of Texas, the UIL, which is the University Interscholastic League, uh, came down, and and they basically are the governing body over all Texas high school sports. Uh, they came down with their rulings of the way that the high school season would go this year. Um, it's a little bit complicated. It splits the bigger levels from the smaller levels as far as start dates. And there are also some, um, you know, some obstacles for start dates that uh, are put in their way from city and county orders. So we're going to jump into that uh, with our friend Matt Stepp. Matt is the Texas football insider, the high school insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football, and uh, works as closely with the UIL as anybody, understands the dynamics of this as well as anybody. And so I asked him to come on and join this and explain this to us like we were five years old. So please enjoy this interview with Matt Stepp. And now joining me on the State of Recruiting podcast, it is the uh, the man to go to for Texas high school football news, Dave Campbell, Texas football, uh, their insider, Matt Stepp. Matt, thanks for joining me. Mike, what's up, man? How are you, sir? Good, man. It's been a, a busy week for you, right? It's been it's been a pretty monumental week on the high school football coverage beat uh, for us. Uh, it's been pretty crazy, but, you know, it's just uh, – it's, I'm actually glad to have something different than coronavirus to talk about. So that's a positive. Right. And I, I think that is, you know, I guess what we got what we asked for, right? Um, your phone actually broke on the day the news was um, was announced. <laughs> is there a worse yeah. day for your phone to be broken than that? 
maybe UIL realignment day would have been the only other day that it could have been that bad. But yeah, it, uh, I went to the gym in the morning and, uh, my phone, I have a case on it and literally just, uh, it fell out of my pocket and landed just literally perfect on the concrete where the screen broke. And, and, uh, it, I could, I could see phone calls coming in. I could see texts coming in, but I couldn't answer them. I couldn't do anything on my phone. So, you know, it was one of those things that was pretty crazy, but uh, I guess it allowed me to focus more on the news and, and being on social media and being able to interact with people on social media than actually uh, answering crazy questions from coaches who are panicking. Well, the news that you alluded to, let's uh, let's go ahead and get into it. The UIL announced their guidance for the uh, 2020 football season, um, and the, the long and short of it looks like uh, 4A and below will be able to start on time uh, August 3rd. Um, and, and the season to start on time pending them living in a place where they don't have a county order. Uh, obviously, those, mm-hmm. county, those county orders supersede. 5A and 6A will be pushed back to late September um, and, and go into January. Um, first of all, so it's hard. I, I would say for a state the size of Rhode Island, it would probably be very difficult to make a decision that that affects everybody, uh, every school, every every uh, athletic program for a state the size of texas i can't imagine how impossible of a task it was to to make a change that would have everybody happy so understanding that um nothing was going to make everybody appeased here what is uh, what are first of all what are just your overall thoughts on on the decision and and how how correct do you feel it is so so i can i can see the logic in in in, in the decision in that you know the situation is dynamic and it varies based on where you're located at. Um, so I, I can d- definitely see where on average, you know, talking on the, you know, big picture, uh, the, the situation, the public health situation in the more rural areas is a lot different than it is in urban areas like the DFW Metroplex, Houston, San Antonio, or, or the Rio Grande Valley, which has been uh, hit unusually hard, uh, with, with the, the COVID-19 situation. So taking all that into account, the logic makes sense in that let's go ahead and have the small schools start on time. Um, and then the bigger schools push them who are generally located in more urban areas, push the bigger schools back um, to start on uh, Labor Day to give them those areas, hopefully more time for health officials to get the, uh, get the situation under in a better place where, uh, they feel more comfortable starting up athletics. Um, where you have an issue is the schools that are kind of caught in between that. And what I'm talking about are the 4A and 3A schools located in the urban areas. So we're talking about the Dallas, so like schools like Dallas Carter, uh, Kennedale, Lake Worth, Houston Yates, um, schools like that that are 4A schools but are located in urban areas where they have a little bit more strict uh, health, health county health orders. Um, those are the schools that are really caught in the crossfire here and, and I think are coming out um, really on the short end of this. For example, uh, the, the perfect example of this is Lake Worth. Lake Worth is a suburb northwest of Fort Worth. Um, actually, it's where my first bachelor – I used to live in Lake Worth. Actually, it's my first bachelor pad apartment was in Lake Worth. Um, northwest Fort Worth, it's a 4A Division One school um, in Tarrant County. Tarrant County has health orders that say no practices can start until September 28th. Well, Lake Worth is 4A, so that means they're, they could, could start on August 3rd. 
Well, their district kind of goes north and northwest of Fort Worth. We're talking they're in a district with Gainesville, Wichita Falls, Hershey, um, Mineral Wells, I believe is in that. Not Mineral Wells is in that district. Gainesville, Wichita Falls, Hershey, Sanger is in that district. So schools to the north and west of Fort Worth who have no county health orders. So everyone in Lake Worth's district is going to start practice on August 3rd, except for Lake Worth. Everyone in Lake Worth's district is going to start their season on August 28th. By the time Lake Worth is eligible to play their first varsity football game on October 9th, everyone in their district will have already played five games. So you could conceivably see Lake Worth going into district play with, at best, one game under their belt. That's a massive disadvantage for a school like that, who's, who's only getting to play one non-district game while everyone else in their districts played five non-district games. So those are the schools that are caught in the crossfire, and, and, and that's the tough part about the UIL, trying to navigate. Texas has 254 counties. Conceivably, every county could issue a health order, and, call, and the UIL just can't keep up with everyone. They have to kind of draw a line somewhere. And, and say this is what we're going to do, and either you can or you can't do it. They just can't, you, you know. Think about trying to ask five different people, "Where do you want to eat dinner at?" And, hey, where do we want to go go to dinner tonight? And you get five different answers. Well, think about that with 254 different counties, and then you factor in all the political fighting and how this has been made a political issue. It just makes it that much diff- more difficult. Now, do I agree with the decision? Uh, I I would have done things a little bit differently if I was the UIL. I'm not a huge fan of the staggered starts. We're basically going to have a basically going to have a 22 week football season, which under normal circumstances I'd be all for because I'm like, yeah, more football, longer, yeah, it's great. But with this situation, I almost feel like less is more. Um, so what I would have done personally is had everyone push everyone back to Labor Day, start everyone on Labor Day, start the season the last week of September, and kind of play a truncated season, maybe play eight, an eight week regular season. Um, and have a full playoffs, ending, ending, ending the playoffs in uh, early January. But that's just me. I'm not in charge. So, you know, we'll just uh, kind of deal with these two concurrent seasons going on at the same time and, and kind of deal with it from there. Because, you know, basically what you're going to see is the 4As are going to play their season. 4A and below is going to play their season. Um, their state championships are going to be the, the weekend that it would have been normally, the December 18th, 19th, kind of that range. Their state championships are going to be played. While the 6As, they're not going to start their season until the end of September, but their playoffs don't start, I believe. I think the first, like Thanksgiving weekend, I think, is going to be the last week of the regular season. So these teams are going to be playing all the way. You know, their playoffs don't start till December, which means their state championships aren't going to be till late January, which then you start running into issues with um, early enrollees and that kind of thing, which kind of complicates things even more. So – I, I listen to Tep and Step, and if you're out there and you're, you're interested in more of this, uh, Dave Campbell's, uh, I'm sorry, TexasFootball.com slash insider. You can, uh, not only do you get to be a subscriber, you get to read Step's great stuff. You get the magazine early, which this year was crucial. Um, and you also get uh, access to Tep and Step, which is a Texas high school football nerd podcast that I listen to every time it drops. So um, you guys went into way more detail on this. And, and oh, yeah. I would say – if you want more detail, we're not going to hit it here. Go there, listen to it there. Uh, but I heard you mention that, you know, obviously it's political and that the, the smaller areas are saying, why punish us? Is that the only reason you can see for the staggered start? Or is it have more to do with those dual sport uh, or, you know, the smaller level schools where kids play every sport? I definitely think that the, the 
smaller schools have, you know, you have more multi-sport kids. So, you know, and a lot of those small towns, their entire basketball team plays football. And so if football goes late, their basketball season doesn't start until football is over with. You know, you have these, you know, like a school like Refurio who plays in the 2A state championship every year, half their basketball season, they don't start basketball until, until the Christmas tournament is probably their first basketball game of the year. So, um, you know, I, th- I think that had something to do with it for sure. Um, I think uh, – well, my nephew's in the background hollering. I was wondering. Uh, but, yeah, that's my nephew. My nine-year-old nephew's over <laughs> over today. So uh, excuse excuse the nine-year-old yelling. Um, but yeah, I, I think the I think multi-school sport athletes definitely factored into that as well. Uh, I also think you know it would not surprise me in the least if if some representatives from those rural areas uh, saw the UIL plan and and, and you know. Because I, I I think the UIL did originally have a plan uh, to start everyone on Labor Day, and I just wonder if maybe some political forces in Austin, you know, in the rural areas, who you know they're representing their constituency, said, hey, you know, why do, why are we starting on Labor Day? We we can start on August third, you know, that kind of thing. So um, there, there's you know people don't realize a lot of the things that are in play when it comes to the UIL and public schools and and dealing with politicians in Austin. So. Um, it could have been a multitude of factors. I, I think I think the multi school sports, the multi sport athletes, absolutely played a role in this. So we should also mention that this is a great, great, not great, whatever you think plan. Um, and Corona has told us for most of 2020 that's a great plan you have there. It would be a shame if something happened to it. Um, none of this like matters if you know the numbers go up or we get into a much bigger public health crisis. This is only uh, guidelines to live by at this point. Um, yeah. if, if we do get a full season and this thing runs into January at 5A and 6A, what do you think state championships look like? So I think the four A the four A and below championships are going to look a lot like they did uh, last year, except you're probably going to see instead of the six the six man schools playing on Wednesday, uh, what I think is going to happen is you could see the two six man games on Thursday, and then a Friday triple header with two A and three A schools, and a Saturday triple header with the four A's and the three uh, A Division one. Uh, being on Saturday, so your big Saturday night game will probably be the 4A Division One uh, state championship, which will be a lot of fun. I mean, that's always a fun game, you know, to to, to see. So um, I think that'll be that. That's what the original championship weekend would look like. The 5A and 6A championship weekend, I think there's a number of directions that could go because we're talking about late January, and this game could be these games would be played. There's a scenario they could be played early in the week. Um, there's a scenario where they're not played at AT&T Stadium because, the, you know, let's be honest, the Cowboys, they're not going to commit to the UIL to giving them their stadium when there's a chance they could be hosting a playoff game. I mean, why would they? You know, I mean, right. there, there's, there's no incentive for the Cowboys to do that. So the UIL has got to make a decision. If the Cowboys aren't going to commit to letting them use the stadium, do we sit tight and not make an announcement and see how the NFL season goes and leave everyone in limbo? Do we try to play state championship games early in the week, um, which probably would be not optimal for anyone uh, to play a state championship game on Monday or Tuesday? If they want to stay on that weekend, then do they look at moving that to a different venue? Um, you know, maybe Globe Life Field, the Rangers' new ballpark, which does have the ability to host uh, play, uh, football games, and it is, it is an indoor facility. Do they move it to the Alamo Dome? 
which is a possibility. Um, I don't think NRG is a possibility just because they have the same kind of issue the Cowboys do with, with, with uh, keep stadium availability and they, they want to keep their stadium open for a playoff game. Or does the UIL look at moving it to an outdoor venue for this year, which is dicey in January in Texas? Um, or do they look at going old school and saying, okay, you know, we'll let the schools negotiate the site individually. And so you could have the 6A Division One game in one place and the Division Two game in another, kind of like old, kind of like the other playoff games usually are. So there's some different options for the UIL. My, my gut, and, and if I was a betting man, I would say the UIL will either have those games either at the Alamo Dome or Globe Life Field. I think those are the two leaders in the clubhouse for the 6A and 5A championship games in January. He is the great Matt Stepp. Matt, thanks for uh, for coming on and explaining this to us like we're five. Um, I know you could have done a better job than I could have. And, and like I said, um, you guys go over there uh, to, to texasfootball.com slash insider. Uh, the Tep and Step podcast, if you love high school football, is definitely worth – that's worth the subscription alone in my opinion. Plus you get all the other great stuff, so please go check that out. Uh, Step, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks, Mike. We hope you're enjoying this episode of The State of Recruiting. We'll be back with this interview after a brief word from our sponsors. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we hope you guys got a little more clarity to the UIL situation, the way the the Texas high school football season is is set to play out. Uh, With that conversation with Matt Stepp, as always, those things are going to be fluid. Um, and we'll keep an eye on them and we'll keep you updated. And, you know, if things like this happen, we do have access to a lot of great resources in state to talk to like Matt. All right, let's move on to our mailbag segment. As always, you can get those questions in to us over at the Horns 24-7 message board. Uh, send us a question over there whenever we put the thread up and uh, you guys can, uh, you know, really get your get to interacting with the show. We always appreciate when you do that. Our first question comes to us from... Uh, Hook'em Bloodstein, he says he has two uh, questions for, for me. Uh, general question, who are your top five quarterbacks in the NFL right now? Um, so let's see. Uh, other than Josh Allen, the great Josh Allen at Buffalo. No, I, I, I have to say that I'm not a huge NFL guy. Like I, I watch the Bills. I'll watch the Cowboys because they are the local team. Uh, my dad is a Packer fan. I grew up watching the Packers, so if they're on TV, I'll watch them. Uh, but... 
I don't watch a lot of random NFL games. I just don't. Like, I mean, by that point in the weekend, I've watched uh, high school games Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, college games Saturday. And my wife is uh, gets kind of tired of football at that point in time, so we don't always uh, we don't always uh, get to do that. So um, I would say that my top five quarterbacks. It's got to start with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, I think obviously he's he's the top dog nowadays. Um, I'd probably say like Russell Wilson is in that group for me. Aaron Rodgers, I don't think you can discount him at all. I really like what Deshaun Watson does. And if I had to pick a fifth guy, probably it's tough. Like I'm to the point where I want to pick Lamar Jackson, but I have a hard time like uh, just totally walking away from Tom Brady and in the history he has. I'd probably go with Jackson, but it it would be really close. Um, His Texas question is uh, have you found yourself being puzzled on how the offensive recruiting has been going? Uh, defensive staff had worse circumstances than the offense, um, with the offense being able to keep two coaches from last year's staff, um, and the offense was way better than the defense last year. Yeah, so there are guys who ask me questions like I'm hiding something, you know, to be like, well, what's really going on with the offensive recruiting? I don't know. I it's been a puzzling thing for me. I I don't. It's not like I'm hiding anything from you guys when I say. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what's going on. I have been puzzled with these offensive changes. Um, the only thing I can say for them is I think that Texas' most dynamic recruiters were on the offensive side of the ball. Replacing Tim Beck is really hard. He was a really good recruiter. Uh, replacing Drew Maringer is tough. He was a good recruiter. Um, you know, even even like a guy like Corby Meekins, replacing him has been tough. Um, so I think that would probably be what I would attribute the offensive struggles to. But yeah, I think it's it's definitely uh, you know tough. It's a it's a really tough situation. Uh, from NT Jones fourteen eighty four. Can Texas, I'm sorry, this is uh, written a little weirdly. I'm going to try to interpret it. Can Texas realistically, or where can Texas realistically land help on offense? Uh, Excluding Gunnar Helm, is Jaden Alexis any closer to a decision? I have not been able to get in touch with Jaden Alexis. He's kind of gone underground. um, And so checking with people out in Florida, you know, everything seems to still be pointing Texas' way. Um, Even checking with people at Texas, I think that there's a lot of confidence there, but it's just a lot of waiting at this point. Um, So we'll see kind of where things uh, stack up uh, with him. But I, you know, I'm not sure he's any closer to a decision. Look, Texas is going to sign an offensive class. Okay, they're probably going to sign two or three receivers. They're going to sign some offensive linemen. They'll sign a tight end. Maybe another running back. The question just is, who will it be? And right now, you know, a lot of those primary targets are gone. So it's about finding quality backup targets and, and finding guys maybe late in the season. It, it could even be senior season evals, which is even going to be much tougher in in this year with, where everything's kind of delayed. And, um, you know, we might have some stop-start type of things within the fall season. So it, it's going to be a tough year. I think that treat this 2020 class almost like a transition class because that's kind of how tough it's going to be. Uh, from Nero1691, from a recruiting perspective, uh, what would be the better uh, outcome, beating Oklahoma or LSU? Um, beating LSU in Baton Rouge is a big deal, and I don't want to make it seem like it isn't. But I think everybody knows that this isn't the same LSU team. I mean, you beat that LSU team last year, okay, then we can talk. But I think at this point... Um, Man, I I think if you're a Texas fan and you've got the choice every year, you've always got a route to beat Oklahoma. And I think from a recruiting perspective, 
I believe, if I'm thinking correctly, Oklahoma will be hosting commits if that's or, or hosting visitors um, if that's allowed at this year's uh, Texas OU game, which again I don't know what will be. Um, I think you've got to go with. Uh, beating Oklahoma, right? And I think that beating Oklahoma is the key because winning the conference is the key. Win the conference, dethrone Oklahoma from that run they've been on, and, and that's when you start to to get a lot better uh, results in recruiting, and that's when you start to show things. If you beat LSU this year in a uh, a lackluster game where LSU's lost a lot of their team, but you still go eight and four, I'm not sure that um, I'm not sure that it you know it makes a big difference. Um, Saved by Milrow asks, uh, give us an update on Albert Regis. Haven't heard much about him since right around offer time. Albert's been pretty quiet. Um, I, I really don't know if there's anything new on him. I think um, I wrote something a, a couple weeks ago. I think it's pretty much down right now to Texas and Texas A&M. Um, you know, we previously thought A&M may not be a school that would take Regis, but it looks like they are. And so I think that that's really where things stand is is between those two schools. Uh, Texas feels good. I mean, I know they've had a lot of productive conversations with him. Mark Hagan's been uh, really good in that one. Chris Ash has been involved in that one. Um, but Regis hasn't really tipped his hand much at this point. Um, so I think it's probably almost a dead even heat. I've got a crystal ball in for Texas, but um, you know I think it's probably dead. You know, close to dead even at this point. From Triplet Joseph forty four, uh, with Terrence Cooks committing next month, how do you still feel about Texas chances? Uh, I believe Cooks is actually going to be committing in October, uh, but I, I still like where Texas sits in this recruitment. Um, I I think that since the beginning they've they've been the leader, and um, it I would be surprised at this point if he ended up anywhere else. I think there are a couple schools that. That are legitimate contenders. I think Georgia's one to watch if they're going to take him. I think Stanford is definitely one to watch. But I'd be really surprised if it's not Texas at this point. Uh, and he also asked, do you think this will be another top 10 class? Uh, it just depends on how offense shakes out, man. I mean, I, I think it's probably more likely that you're shooting for top 15, top 20. Uh, if Texas wins the Big 12, uh, do you think that they get Quinn Ewers? Also, is it true he grew up rooting for Texas from Earl Thomas 12? It is true that he grew up rooting for Texas, but um, it seems like he's eliminated that part from his decision-making process. I Look, guys, I try to say this all the time. There's not – usually with these recruits, there's not one magical thing, like win the Big 12 and, and you get me type of thing. Um it's more of what they see throughout the process. So what I've said is if this offense shows good growth – during the year, and Sam has a stellar year, shows like he's developing under your switch, even developing new layers to his game. Um, and this looks like an offense that that Quinn Ewers thinks that he can succeed and get to the NFL in. Then, yeah, I think that the chances go way up there. I just I, I don't know that winning the Big 12 is your automatic ticket to it. Um, from MT2007, any update on div- defensive end David Abiara and uh, when we could see a decision from him? Uh, no new update. I think that David's a really quiet kid. He's talked to me once, and it was when I went to his school and, and stood in front of him. Uh, getting him on the phone has been next to impossible. And so, um, you know, we're having to rely on sourcing there. I think that Texas is giving him some things to think about. I actually think there's a mystery school. I'm going to throw the mystery school in. There's a mystery school uh, that could be making waves in this that, that nobody's really talking about right now. Um, and I haven't... I haven't confirmed enough on that end uh, to think that that 
it's a real thing, but I will say that don't be surprised if you see another school pop up in this race other than Notre Dame and Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, but I think I do think Texas has given him some things to think about. Uh, from JF10357, I know that it's early, but who else is Texas looking at for linebacker in 2022? Medlock seems like he's leaning to Ohio State, um, and everyone and their mother will want Perkins, so that'll be a tough slog. After those two, uh, who in-state or out-of-state seem like realistic options? Hey, look, man, um, just because these guys are are leaning towards other schools or everybody's going to want them, you can't be afraid to get in those fights. And, and this is, I guess, my biggest gripe uh, with Texas recruiting and, um, you know, I called it this week with the Brockermeyers. I called it, you know, a pretty big failure that they didn't land him. And and this is what I think when you want to play for national championships and you want to be Texas and you want to be at the top of the food chain, you have to be able to go in and win these recruitments. On the flip, you know, I think that perspective is incredibly important. Right now, it looks like Texas has never won a big recruitment in their life because they lost the last big one. But if you look back over the years, I mean, Texas has won some monumental recruitments, including B. John Robinson, including Alfred Collins, and including Vernon Broughton. Like, they've won from those big schools before. So, um, yeah, those two guys are definitely going to be part of it. There are some out-of-state guys they're looking at. I think Deshaun McCullough from Kansas figures in as a linebacker type. I think that a Sebastian Cheeks is a guy who could get an offer soon. He'd be a guy they'd look at as well. Uh, also, for 21, if Texas doesn't get Kamar Wheaton or LJ Johnson, would they be just fine with Brooks, or would they throw out offers to uh, Cameron Valdez or Alton Caskill or Tavir Dunlap? Uh, I don't know. You know, I mean, they've been talking to Valdez a little bit. I tend to think, from what I'm told, that they would probably stick with what they have. I would personally love to see them pursue Alton McCaskill. He's a guy that I love. Tavir Dunlap's a guy that I love as well. But I think that for Texas, if they wanted those guys, they probably would have offered them by now. So I think it's probably likely they just stick with one. Uh, from Polly Dreamer, what are the realistic things Texas could do in twenty in the twenty twenty one class to continue to grow the O line program? It's uh, a good question. I mean, they're going to have to find JUCO guys. They just are. Um, they've they've squandered one of the best offensive line classes in state history this year, and I don't see them in a position where they can really flip any of those guys. That's the biggest problem. Um, so I think that uh, you know, with Texas is. They're going to have to find those JUCO guys. They're going to have to find some under-the-radar guys, your Sam Cosmes, your your Derek Kerstetters. And, you know, they've done that in the past. I just don't think it's something you can really rely on year after year. Um, and then they're going to have to hit it hard in 22. They're going to have to come back at 22 and really land the top guys at their positions, the Cam Dewberries, the Kelvin Banks, the, the Devon Campbells. They're going to have to land all those types of guys. From Myers 2005, is there any way Texas can get back in with the Brocks with a great season? Texas will continue to recruit them. I think they'll continue to listen, but I'm not sure a great season does it uh, short of a national championship. Um, you know, I think I've said it before. The Brockermeyers expect them to have a great season. They know that the team is talented and experienced. I think that their concern is what comes in the next couple of seasons. Uh, from Hookem 35, uh, do you think a great season or start can get us back into the fold with Bryce Foster, or do you think we're too far out? Any indication on what his time frame is? So we had Bryce Foster on the show last week. Um, another great season question. I, guys, I mean, yeah, you know, nothing's off limits with a great season, but, um, you know, I think that right now, 
I don't know that any of these targets on the board that Texas is out of it with, and I do think they're probably in fourth or fifth for Bryce Foster. I don't think that they're getting in with those guys, and I think by the time they have a great season, those guys will probably have made their decision. For Bryce Foster, I know he wanted to take visits, but um, you know at this point, I, I think that he'd probably have that decision almost out of the way. Nothing. I never say never, but um, you know I think that's kind of where we are. All right, our next question from anonymous one two three four five six seven. Uh, he says, I really appreciate the way uh, we do our jobs. Uh, nar- narratives can often be fostered through the media with misinformation. So this is a long question. I'm going to try to just hit the highlights here. Uh, when Herman's regime got here, the O-line unit was one of the first, um, was one of the f- uh, worst O-line units in all of Power 5 football. Um, I think uh, people forget guys like Tristan Nicholson, Brandon Hodges, et cetera. Um, and then kind of lists out these players and their their rankings and and who they've got since then. Has hands recruiting been where it needs to be? Absolutely not. But the reason uh, y'all give for that is that they haven't had development that recruits like to see. I think hand has done an admirable job developing. Okay, so basically the the too long didn't read is I think Texas development problems are a negative recruiting tactic from other programs that's found its way into the media. Now it's being spread as a fact. Uh, what do we think of this narrative? Do we think it's accurate? So I would say that I have said in, on certain times, Texas doesn't develop. And I would say that that's not a media narrative. I would say that that's a fact and it's not all on her pant. It's a 10 year 15-year record where Texas didn't have offensive linemen drafted. Like, there's nothing to lean on there. And, yeah, I do think Herb Hand has done a decent job of of developing, but until he really starts putting his stamp on things, when you have guys around here like Bill Biedenbaugh at Oklahoma who can say, I basically sent an entire offensive line unit in the first couple of day picks, and, you know, you've got the LSUs and the, the Georgias, the Alabamas of the world. It's really tough to say, well, we got Sam Cosby into the first round and Derek Kerstetter, we made him a draft pick. Um, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a narrative. I think that it's accurate. Um, I, I don't know that that's all Herb Hand. And I don't know that that's the only thing that's hurting him in recruiting. I know that that's what hurt him with the Brockermeyers. And that's what hurt Texas with the Brockermeyers, not just Herb Hand. But it's a, it's different things for different kids. So, um, no, I, I'm not ready to say that it's really a um, – I'm not ready to say that it's really a, a false narrative. I'm, I'm ready to say that Herb Hand has had his opportunity to do something about it. He is doing something about it. But it's not quite at the elite level that some of the other coaches that are around here are doing anything about it. And that looks like it's going to be the last question. So uh, thank you guys for interacting with us, getting those questions in in the mailbag um, and sending them to us for us to interact with. Uh, and that's going to do it for the show. We guys, we hope you guys uh, enjoyed uh, our interview with Matt Stepp, some clarity on the Texas high school season. Uh, we want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in each and every week. Next week, we will be back. Uh, the week after that, I will be on vacation, so there will be no shows that week. Um, for Nick Harris, who is not here, I'm Mike Roach. We will see you guys next week.
told you imaginary friends are real. This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.